And it's my uh, privilege to be continuing our series in Mark's Gospel this morning. And as we're getting closer to uh, Easter this morning, we're skipping ahead a little bit from where we left off last time. And we're going to be spending some time over the next couple of weeks in chapters 14 to 16, where we see Mark's account of what we celebrate at Easter, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And maybe you're tuning in this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe because there's, you've ran out of things to watch on Netflix, or your Christian flatmate or your Christian family have commandeered the TV and you're stuck with this. Well, you're very welcome to be listening in and watching. And in fact, it's great that you're here because as we look at the account of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are getting to the very core of the Christian faith. And so if you want to know what it's all about, and you've got nothing else to do with all this lockdown stuff going on, stay tuned in this morning and over the next coming weeks. We're in Mark 14, verses 12 to 31. This morning, please keep that open in your Bibles, and let me pray before we dive in. Father, would you please... um, Illuminate your word to us this morning. Would you give us ears to hear what you are saying and soft hearts to accept the truths that you will teach us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, talking of Netflix, I've been doing a lot of that recently. Have you ever tried watching uh, a sequel film with someone who's never seen the first one? I have... Uh, some experience of that because of family, and you're inundated with questions, aren't you? Who is this guy? Why did he do that? Why is that important? And these aren't unreasonable questions. They are annoying questions, but they're not unreasonable. And it's true that you need to watch the first film to understand what's going on. Maybe as, we look, as you look at this uh, passage this morning, you're asking similar questions. I'm sure you would if this was your first time looking closely at this or first time thinking about Christianity. What's this stuff with the bread and the blood all about? And the answers are found in the first film, in the Old Testament. But what part exactly? Well, look at verse 12. Mark wants to let us know this. This is happening during the feast of the unleavened bread. That's a Jewish festival that lasted a few days, in particular on the day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. So what's this unleavened bread and Passover lamb stuff all about? Well, both of those symbols were supposed to be physical reminders to the nation of Israel of something that extraordinary that happened to them about 1,500 years earlier from the time of writing in Mark's gospel in the events of the Exodus. So let me try and give you a quick synopsis of that first film, the prequel. At that time, Israel were bound as slaves in Egypt. They had been for a long time, but God rescued them in an amazing way. There were plagues, you might remember them from films and from stories in Sunday Club, but what this feast has in mind in particular, the thing that they were remembering, what is to be remembered, is the final plague That plague was a blow that loosed Pharaoh's grip on the people of God and allowed them to be set free from Egypt. That last plague was the death of the firstborn. During that last plague, the angel of death, that was God's wrath and judgment, was going to descend on the land and the firstborn son of every family was going to die. 
But provisions were made for God's people, instructions from God as to how this wrath was to be avoided. A lamb had to be killed, and its blood placed on the doorposts of each Israelite house. That way, when the angel of death came, he would pass over that household and would not touch the firstborn there. After this event, the Israelites were to leave Egypt so quickly that there was no time to take many provisions with them, no yeast with them. Hence, the bread that they were going to eat from then on was going to be unleavened bread. That's the first film. That's what we're to have in mind when Jesus and his disciples are eating together in the upper room. There's a lamb killed, and the blood of that lamb spilled to rescue God's people from wrath and from judgment. And if you're following along with the sheets, the handouts that you might have got online, we're into point number one. What's this Exodus lamb stuff got to do with Jesus? Well, throughout Mark's account, Jesus has been teaching his disciples about who he is and what he has come to do. He's been displaying to them by miracles and his words that he really is the promised Messiah King, God on earth about to bring about God's perfected kingdom. We saw that from Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that Jay read from us, for us earlier. And the disciples are absolutely on board with that. They're following him. They believe that he is the Messiah King. But how is he going to bring about this kingdom? Jesus has also been teaching them about what he has come to do. And this is the bit that has the disciples a bit confused. They don't quite understand He has come to die. And in this meal, this Passover meal that they have in the upper room, Jesus does something extraordinary. Let me read verses 22 to 24 again. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks... He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Traditionally, the host of the meal would be the one to serve the bread and the wine, the reminders of God's big rescue, but he would not have dared say what Jesus said. This is my body. This is my blood. Jesus is teaching his disciples once more about what he has come to do. He's teaching them about his death. And he is saying that his body and his blood, he is the lamb that will ensure your rescue. It's his flesh and his blood that are given out to, for, to them for, for eating and drinking. He is going to die for them so God's wrath can be averted, and they can be rescued. And that might seem a bit bizarre, maybe if you're here for the first time listening in, why does Jesus need to die at all? Why does Jesus have to be this lamb? That's a great question if you're asking that. That's what the disciples have been struggling to grasp this whole time. But look at verse 24. This is my blood of the covenant, of the covenant, which is poured out for many. 
Jesus' blood establishes a covenant. And it's good for us to understand what that is so that we understand what his death means. A covenant is an agreement between God and his people. And God in these covenants found in the Old Testament has always been talking of how he would have a people for himself to be with him perfectly, sinlessly, under his rule in a perfect place. And he is committed to that. But the big problem is that if God is the perfect, good creator, and we are sinful creatures who turned away from him and reject him, how is he going to uphold his end of the agreement of this covenant? How can he, the perfect, holy God, be together with sinful, imperfect people? That doesn't happen. How can we avoid what we deserve, which is God's wrath and judgment? Well, remember the Exodus. How did God's people then avoid his wrath and judgment? A lamb had to die, so the firstborn didn't have to. And in that story, we get a little taste, a little taste of how God was going to uphold his covenant promises. And now in the upper room, as Jesus speaks these words and serves his disciples, we see how God is finally going to fulfill fully his covenant promises. God himself would provide a lamb, a lamb that would be sufficient for all people in all places at all times. A lamb that would be himself in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus would die so that we don't have to. How will God uphold his commitment to be together with the people perfectly? Well, Jesus will take on God's wrath and judgment as a lamb of God. That is self-sacrificial love like you've never seen anywhere else. Jesus will be the lamb. That's incredible. In fact, God has been saying his mercy and his grace have, has, have always been there from the Exodus onwards. There was another instance in which God promised this rescue to his people, and here's how he said he would do it. This is Isaiah 53. God said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is this him? Well, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. God's commitment to his covenant promises are absolute. Our iniquity, our sin, would be laid on him who would be slaughtered like a lamb. And this commitment is so resolute. Jesus is a part of it. He knows exactly how and when it is going to happen. He is in control. He even knows where the guy with the water jar will be so the room for the special meal could be prepared. So the wrath of God would not fall on us, but on his son who in control willfully steps into our place and saves us. And that's what we remember when we partake in this meal as Christians. We remember that what was necessary to save us. We remember God's self-sacrificial love, his mercy, his grace. That he has provided a way for salvation. He has provided a lamb 
And we have been rescued from the consequences of our sin. We are his people, brought into a relationship with the living God under his rule and his blessing with a hope of eternal life, being with him perfectly in his place in heaven. We remember the great rescue. And I wonder what um, your reaction is to this, with all that's going on around us in the country and in the world. Is it not the greatest, deepest comfort to know that Jesus has rescued me? Amidst all the uncertainty and the fear, I can look at Jesus in this meal, this Passover meal, as he tears the bread and passes the wine, that God really cares for me. Look at what he's done for me. And again, maybe you're watching and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You might be thinking, that sounds wonderful. That's great, but it's not for me. Well, have a look. Um, at the disciples' interactions with Jesus either side of this Passover meal. This is point number two of the handouts. Jesus has made this a very memorable event in one way. He has visually represented what his death means. He also makes it memorable in another way. He says some pretty strong things to his disciples. Just have a quick glance, verse 18 Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Verse 27, Jesus says, you will all fall away. Verse 30, he says to Peter, you will deny me three times. Verse 21 is aimed uh, specifically at Judas. He's the only one who truly betrays Jesus. But thinking broadly of all the disciples, look at how they all respond to Jesus' words in this sense. They think they're all right. None of them seem to think that what Jesus has said of them will actually happen. Their response both times is, well, no, we won't. So in verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after the other, is it I? They're saying, really, me? And Jesus reiterates, yes, one of you. Verse 12. Verse 20, sorry. One of you, the 12. In verses 29 to 31, Peter, in no uncertain terms, makes it clear that he will not fall away. Even though they all fall away, I will not. And the others follow suit. Verse 31, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. But we know, if we follow the story on, that Peter doesn't last, he doesn't even last until the end of that very night before he is in need of forgiveness. By the end of that night, Peter is in desperate need of what Jesus has just demonstrated he is willing to do. Not only Peter, but all of them, they all fall away. They all need to be rescued. And maybe, as I said earlier, you have some friends, or maybe yourself think, well, this is nice for some people, but it's not for me. Well, 
Jesus has just shown you what he's willing to do for you. He is the lamb and the rescue. And this isn't just a kind offer that you can refuse, in a sense. You, 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 know, you might go out and you, you'll buy a new phone and you're offered some insurance to go with the phone and you think, ah, I'll be all right without it, it's fine. Maybe you'll live to regret that decision, who knows. Or someone offers you some shin guards before you start the five-a-side game and you think, ah, I'll be all right without them. And that attitude is, is reasonable in those circumstances, but it's not reasonable when someone is offering you a rope when you're drowning. Now I'll be all right without it. Or when someone offers you a ladder out of a burning building. Now I'll be okay without it. Not in those circumstances. In that sense, you can't say, no, I'll be okay without it, to Jesus' offer of his death. Not because you physically can't. Of course you can reject him, but, you know, this isn't phone insurance. This is a ladder out of a burning building. Because much like in the final plague in the Exodus event, God's wrath is coming. A rejection of him, or living like he's not there, the evil in human hearts that bears fruit in all sorts of ways, God will not let that go. He can't join himself to that. He's the good creator and he will uphold his goodness. That means that sin must be judged. But he is still good. There's mercy. Here is Jesus offering himself as a lamb to take the wrath in place of the firstborn, to take the wrath in place, in your place, for you to be rescued. Even if you might think you, you don't need it, the offer is still there. Don't let this offer pass you by. If you have questions, please be chatting them through with um, your friend that commandeered the TV this morning or, or get in touch with us as a church via the website. We'd love to hear from you. Don't let this pass you by as we are faced with our mortality in the starkest way possible for a long time in this country. Take the opportunity to think and consider what Jesus offers freely to you today to be your lamb for your rescue. And for us who are Christians, what a hope we have, how safe we are. We have been rescued. Would we not lose our grip on that truth in these difficult days? There will be much temptation to. Whatever is happening in our lives, would we know that God is good and that he is gracious and that he is loving and that his only son, Lord Jesus, is willing to be our lamb for our rescue? Let me pray as we close. Father, we are so grateful for your Son. So grateful for your promises to your people. We're so grateful for who you are. Thank you that you have loved us and you have rescued us by the blood of your Son. Thank you for being willing to save even sinners like us. 
And we pray that this morning you would warm our hearts and our souls with this truth. Whatever may be going on in our lives, that you save us and that you rescue us through your son Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.